Our scripture reading this evening is taken from Paul's letter to Timothy, <clears throat> Second Timothy, and chapter two, and we'll be reading throughout that chapter. Paul is writing with instructions to uh, the young pastor Timothy, and we'll read down through the entire chapter. Uh, the message this evening is not an exposition of this passage, but rather, um, I guess you would call it topical or textual um, considerations of a number of different uh, points that we're going to find throughout the scripture. But this is a scripture background that um, gives some foundation for what I want us to think about uh, in our message this evening as well. So let's give our attention to God's word as we read uh, the entire second chapter of Paul's second letter to Timothy. <clears throat> you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, and preached in my gospel, for which I am suffering bound with chains as a criminal. But the word of God is not bound. Therefore, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This is a trustworthy this is trust this saying is trustworthy for if we have died with him we will also live with him if we endure we will also reign with him if we deny him he also will deny us if we are faithless he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself remind them of these things and charge them before god not to quarrel about words which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them, are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have served, who, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. Now, in a great house, there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, 
some for honorable use, some for dishonorable. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use, set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do We'll end our reading with God's word at that point and that he would lead us and direct us in our time of study and fun. I titled this message this evening, What Do You Know? Maybe a strange question or a strange title in some ways. But uh, what I want us to do this evening is think about a number of things that I believe we can know for sure. And uh, there's an outline on the back of your bulletins, uh, not a complete one. I hope you'll be able to fill it in as we, as we go along this evening. So um, let's, let's think about this just a little bit. I think probably all of us have heard at one time or another that old cliche, um, there's nothing certain but death and taxes. Some people, myself included, would add, well, death at least, if you have the right lawyer, maybe not. Um, <clears throat> but anyway, that's that's a uh, an old cliche that, that has an element of truth in it, I think, as we'll consider a little more this evening. Uh, I think it's certainly important for us to know with certainty a number of things. And based on the foundations that we use, uh, we may find some people thinking, Certain things are certain, while others of us would disagree with that. But um, as an example, uh, if your life is in danger, uh, you better know for certain what that danger is so that you can avoid it and and get out of the way of whatever that danger might be. Uh, If you're sick near to the point of death and the physician knows what medicine that he can use, but also knows that an overdose of that medicine will kill you, he better know for sure how much medicine to give you. There are a lot of things that it's really important for us to to know for sure. And I think there are a number of truths in God's word that are important for us to know for sure as well. And foundational to all of that is the fact that um, the scripture, I believe, is sure. And so I want us to think, first of all, Uh, in the first point, that you can be sure that God's word is true and faithful. We can know that, I think, for sure, uh, because God's word tells us that, and God's Holy Spirit, if we're a believer, assures us of the truth of that word well. 
Uh, there were two or three references in the scripture that I was reading this evening that um, uh, I think give us a foundation of why it's good for us to think of some of these things that, that we can know for sure. Let me just remind you of what um, Paul said to Timothy in verses 1 and 2. Uh, he's addressing Timothy and he says, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and what you have learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Uh, Paul is uh, directing uh, Timothy that he needs to teach those that he is pastoring certain truths. And I trust that uh, a number of the things that he was teaching are things that we'll be talking about that we can know for sure this evening. Later on in that same passage, as we were reading this evening, at verses 14 and 15, Paul goes on to say, Remind them, that is, Timothy, you remind those that you're teaching, remind them of these things, and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Timothy, I want you to, to handle this properly as you're out there. And so our first foundational truth that, that I think is crucial for all of the others, because if this truth is not something that we can know for sure, then all of the others are. And we can be sure that God's word is true and faithful. There are a number of uh, references throughout this scripture that speak to us about the truth of God's Word and the trustworthiness of God's Word. Uh, the one passage that I think I uh, appreciate more than any other is 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 19. Uh, you may be familiar with that. I'll read it for you in just a moment. But, but the foundation or the background to that is many people, I think, would say, you know, if, if Jesus was just and was teaching... I really know what this is all about. Well, listen to what Peter has to say about that. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Can you imagine that? We have something that is even more sure than listening to one of the Old Testament prophets, Isaiah or one of the others, giving us the word of the God. He's, he's speaking the word of God to the people. We have something more sure than that. More sure than, than listening to Jesus' teaching vocally right there in essence. Because the prophecy that we have has been ensured by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so we know that for sure. Well, there are a number of things in Scripture <coughs> that tell us about the truthfulness, the validity, uh, the faithfulness of Scripture. Let me just give you a few references as we uh, think about that. First of all, God's Word is eternal, the Scripture tells us. <clears throat> Psalm 
Psalm 119, uh, verse 89 is one example of that, where the psalmist says, Forever, O Lord, your word is firmly fixed in the heavenly. Um, Isaiah, the 40th chapter, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. And Jesus, in his teaching in Matthew 5 and verse 18, said, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, will pass from the law until all is accomplished. So the word of God is, 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 is something that we can depend on. God's word is a testimony, and it's trustworthy to us as well. There are a number of references that, that give us this truth. Uh, 1 Kings, the 8th chapter, we read, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel. According to all that he promised, not one word has failed of all of his good promises, which he spoke by Moses. So the testimony uh, years later is that the promises that God made to Moses were indeed trustworthy, they were fulfilled, and we can trust the word of God in this way. So uh, <clears throat> there, there are a number of uh, scripture references that give us this truth. Again, John 1, verses 11 and 13 uh, tells us how Jesus came to his own. His own, his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, but of, nor of the will of man. The word of God is our foundational truth that all of these other truths will be built on as well. Secondly, we can know for sure that you will die. Real pleasant thought, perhaps, but it's a certainty, and we can know for sure that it's going to happen. Uh, it seems negative. It seems dismal in many ways, but it's important for us to know for sure that unless the Lord returns before I die, I'm going to die. You're going well. Um, Hebrews 9.27 uh, reminds us that just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes, the, it's a one-time thing, but, but it's, a, it's appointed that all men will die. Uh, medical science, of course, for generations has been doing all that they can to try and prolong life, and uh, certainly uh, they did in treating many diseases and, and uh, working with many different uh, ills and, and problems that we have physically and medically, but so far they've never accomplished, uh, they haven't made that step, and they won't make that step according to the teaching of Scripture. Um, there are some that talk about freezing a person and then uh, buying them when the cure is found, uh, but I'm not ready to do that myself, and I don't think that we have any real assurance that, that, that that's going to uh, work either. But uh, that cliche that we mentioned earlier, uh, nothing certain in life but death and taxes, uh, no one escapes death. One out of one dies. Enoch and Elijah, by God's grace, escaped death. They were taken up into heaven uh, without death, but there's no other examples of that. And, of course, all of that is because of sin. So the third 
truth that we can know for sure is you can be sure that your sin will find you out. Um, no exception there either. You can be certain that your sin will find you out. Sin, of course, is um, the reason that death came into the world. Um, sin was established in the garden uh, when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God and follow their own desire rather than his direction and his command. Genesis 2 and Genesis 3 give us the account of that. Uh, God laid out instructions to them as to uh, their care of the garden and, and how they could live in the garden and, and enjoy the fruit of the garden. But this one tree was um, Satan beguiled and tempted, responded and fell into sin. Shortly after that, we read in Genesis 3, verse 8, they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and hid myself. Adam's rebellion and their sin, the fellowship between God certainly. And Paul <clears throat> then reminds us in sin. And as I mentioned this morning, it's not just that we are sinners because of our relationship to Adam, our covenant relationship covenant theology which recognizes that Adam's sin brought sin and guilt into the world that we're guilt, guilty on our own account of our will but uh, one of the things about uh, sin is that uh, almost universally when we sin we try to we try and cover it up we try and keep it secret and uh, the scripture gives us a number of illustrations of the folly of this kind of behavior. You may remember Achan. Uh, Achan took some things, hid them. They came and confronted Achan in this way. Achan confesses in this way. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful cloak from Shiner and 200 shekels of silver, a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, then I coveted them, and I took them, and see, hidden in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath. And Achan's sin was found out, and he acknowledged that it was found out, and the punishment followed after that. Uh, the example that all of you probably are already thinking of, what about David? And, and you remember the sin of David as he committed adultery with Bathsheba, and um, then tried, to, tried his best to fix it so it wasn't uh, tried numerous alternatives, tried to make it look like it was someone else. But finally, the Lord sent the prophet to David. Second Samuel 12 gives us the accusation. Nathan said to David, you are the man. That's Adam. David was incensed. He could be so and you have despised the word of the Lord to do what is in his sight. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the sun. 
And David said to Nathan, I have sinned against David. The Lord also has put away your sin. You shall not die. Found that. So there's a folly of trying to conceal our sin. God warns us again and again that our sins will be found out. Uh, just a couple of other references to enforce that. In Numbers we read, If you will not do so, behold, you have sinned against the Lord, and you, and, and you be sure your sin will find you out. So Jesus tells us of the disclosure of our sin. He said in Luke, Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden, so we can know for certain that God sees and knows all things will find Well, the fourth one that I want us to think about for a few moments is that you can be certain that God's judgment, God brings judgment upon sin. God is a God of righteousness, a God of holiness. Sin has to be dealt with. Look this matter of sin. And uh, again, that reference in Hebrews, it's pointed for man to die once, but after that come. Uh, there, there are numerous scripture references throughout uh, the Old Testament, New Testament, and others that God brings judgment upon sin. Again, the words of Christ in Matthew 25, When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. So um, Jesus comes as our judge, and the separation will take place there. Second uh, Corinthians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Um, all of us have sinned. All of us are guilty of sin. Sin must be punished. The judgment will come in order that sin might be punished. So we can be sure that our sin is known by God. We can be sure that our sin deserves God's wrath and punishment, and consequently then we can be sure that our sins will be found out and that judgment will follow. But next, we can also be sure that God's foundation stands, stands firm. And uh, when we talk about God's foundation standing firm, I think what we're referring to in particular here is the promise of God, again, that he's going to deal with sin. And he has, in fact, dealt with sin uh, when we look at it from our point of time in history. And um, God's firm foundation stands. The scripture we were reading earlier in the beginning, chapter 2 of 2 Timothy and verse 19, God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those, those who are his, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. The Lord knows, it says, those who are his. Um, our message this morning as we were thinking about the blessings that we have as believers, the Lord knows because he's elected, he's chosen, he's predestined those who are his. And so we can be sure <clears throat> that God's 
foundation is going to stand firm on that. He, he's not going to, to change the direction of his will and his purpose in that. Again, from the scripture that we were reading earlier, chapter 2 and verses 8 and then 11 through 13, we read, Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David as preached in my gospel. This saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. So this, this is a solid foundation that we have of God's promised salvation for his people. He's made the promise. He's made the salvation secure and certain, and he's not going to depart from that solid foundation. Uh, <clears throat> the New Bible Commentary uh, has uh, some comments regarding later on in this passage that I read for our scripture this evening in Second, Second Timothy 2, uh, beginning at verse 16 and following. And um, the author in the New Bible Commentary puts it this way. He says, <clears throat> the thought of a right understanding of the word, that is the foundation is the word he's talking about, of the word leads Paul to reflect again on those who deviate from it in verses 16 through 19, for example. The, he, the threatening alternative teaching described as godless chatter and it's compared to gangrene in its effects uh, it must be avoided. The example of Hymenaeus and Philetus is cited, and the gist of their error is stated that the resurrection had already taken place. Um, the author goes on to say it's noteworthy, it's noteworthy as, an as an unusual instance in the um, uh, pastorals, a specific false teaching being mentioned in spite of the harmful effects of this kind of teaching. And Paul stresses the positive truth that God's solid foundation stands firm. A question arises about the identity of the foundation. Uh, is it the church as a whole, the Ephesian church in particular, or the whole truth of God, including his saving word? The third possibility, the whole truth of God, the third possibility is to be preferred Although elsewhere, Paul uses the metaphor in relation to the church. It would seem that the inscriptions referred to in verse 19 uh, are from Numbers. Uh, the, the seal used everywhere by Paul is a sign that something is true and faithful. Uh, end quote. So in this passage that uh, we read there in in Timothy, we have the assurance again that um, God's foundation is a sure and firm foundation that we can depend on. And uh, we can know then that um, God has made a promise regarding our salvation, and we can be sure and certain that that will be carried out, and that is true. Um, <coughs> there's a uh, another reference in Hebrews that uh, is 
an interesting argument along the same lines. Hebrews, the sixth chapter, and verses 13 through 20, read that for you. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For the people swear, for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the through the heirs of the promise, the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner grace behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Hebrews 6, verses 13 through 20. Uh, the, the point being there that God had no one greater than himself to swear by, so he swears by himself. He, he takes an oath and his oath is valid and guaranteed because he's the one that uh, God's firm foundation does stand sure and firm. Well, the last one that I want us to think about for a few moments this evening is that you can be sure that Jesus is coming again. Jesus is coming again. And we can be sure of that again because of the references that we have throughout the scripture to that promise. Uh, there are numerous references to that. Revelation 22 and verse 20, uh, one example where we find the, the promise that um, Jesus will come. Uh, John is recording for us uh, the vision that he had and the revelation that he had. And in chapter 22 and verse 20, he says, he who, trust, he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. Um, it's foretold throughout the prophets, throughout the Psalms. Um, one example, Psalm 96, verse 13. Before the Lord, for he comes, for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. That touches more than one of our things that we can be assured about. We can be assured and know for certain that Jesus is coming, that he's coming for judgment, that he's coming to redeem his people as well. When the disciples were standing there and seeing the ascension of Jesus as he went up into the heavens, the angels came and spoke to them. In uh, Acts 1, verse 10 and 11, we read, while they were gazing into heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. The 
the coming of Jesus is anticipated by the New Testament writers, by the New Testament believers, and certainly by us as well. We can be sure that Jesus will come. And uh, we don't know when that will be. Uh, it could be soon. It could be a long time. But we do know that it will happen. And so our conclusion simply is be ready, live faithfully, and live expectantly. Just a reference with regard to each one of them. We're to be ready because we must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that we do not expect. Matthew chapter 24. We need to live faithfully. 1 Timothy uh, verse, or chapter 6 and verse 13 and following. I charge you in the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession to keep the commandment unsustained and free from reproach until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will display at the proper time. He who is blessed and the only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. And so we live expectantly, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. We can know these things for certainty. The scripture tells us that they are true, and they should give us comfort and encouragement as we place our trust in the Lord. Let's look to him in prayer. <clears throat> Our kind and gracious Heavenly Father, again we rejoice that you have set your love on your own people, that you have, in the councils of eternity, set aside those that you have called and those that you will call. And so, so Father, we give you praise and thanksgiving because of all that you have done on our behalf. We thank you that we can know with certainty many of these truths out of your word. We pray that you would encourage us through them. We pray that you would encourage us as we look further into your word to see other truths that you have given us that we can know for certain as well. We seek in all of these things to give you praise and honor and glory through Christ Jesus, our only Savior. Amen. <clears throat>